Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, This Week in Photography, episode number two. Uh, we are here now, We're not. it's much quieter than it was the last time. Uh, we're here um, in uh, San Francisco, but we're, we're in San Francisco, but not in the same place. So Scott Bourne, hey Scott. Hi. And Hello. Scott, Scott, is a, Scott is a couple blocks away. <laughs> I'm, I'm exactly, if you want to know, I'm exactly 2.9 miles south of you. Right. So, uh, so we, we, we were going a whole two and a half or 2.9 miles out. Uh, Scott is at the Poddango Studios, and, uh, and then we are here at uh, Pixel Core Studios and, um, and uh, trying out the Skype thing. Also in the studio with me is my brother, uh, Joe Lindsay. Hey, Joe. How's it going? And uh, Joe is a pretty artsy photographer himself, <laughs> and uh, we thought we'd uh, drag him on uh, for episode two. Uh, we're going to have a lot of different people, I think, uh, a kind of a rotating cast um, on this uh, show to have these different discussions. Um, and anyway, so uh, so do we have any big news this week, Scott? Well, the big news is that uh, at the end of the week, everybody who's anybody in the photo business will be wandering there around Las Vegas at the uh, largest trade show of its kind in the United States, in fact, in North America, the Photo uh, Marketing Association PMA show starts Thursday, and I'll be speaking there um, a little bit on Thursday, and then I'm going to hang out and walk around the show floor, and whatever you do, don't buy a camera this week. Right. I, I was actually, I, I had that little problem with my Mac, and um, yeah, the... the uh, uh, my sister, both of our sisters, our, our sisters uh, are both uh, buying cameras, and uh, we told them. We, I, I, I told one of them, uh, I, you might want to wait until uh, next week. And she was like, "Well, I, yeah. like she needs another another uh, set of choices, you know." Yeah, really. Yeah, they're going to be introducing uh, new cameras, all and uh, new lenses, and Nikon's coming out with a new body. And a bunch of new lenses. Canon is rumored to be coming out with a replacement for the 5D. And of course, there'll be all kinds of software and new cool things. So uh, it, it's it's an exciting week. In that, we'll see what new gear is out there. Right. Uh, it would be it would be an even more exciting week if you bought a camera that was made obsolete in about eight days. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not so, that's not the kind of excitement that I like. Now, yeah, that, that's really the biggest news. Now, the rumor is, I guess, that, that of course, Nikon is uh, doing a D60, I think. That's the, that's the in-between. The D60 was actually no, no longer rumor. It oh, was it is. Officially announced. It was officially announced today. Today, okay. Yeah. All, it went up last it night. Is, it went up last night, and I saw it go by, and then they took it all. All the, all the websites went back down again. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is so different from Macworld, where everything really is a secret. PMA, pretty much by the day that the show starts, there is not a single secret left because they all now are trying to outdo each other in their early press release release. So right. everything's going to be completely unfolded. It's big, probably in the next day or so. But you know, Nikon actually announced a, a new body and some new lenses. That's their new entry-level body, which, of course, is a tit-for-tat fire across the bow thing at Canon, who also just announced a couple of days ago their new entry level body which is which i think is uh, now canon's new entry level body is uh, what what has been really added over the la um over the previous ones this is another rebel I, it's another rebel and it, it's just you know it's like everything else they they use the better processors and for for those that don't understand how it works there's a sensor which is where the light is gathered and turned into a picture but then for that image to be converted to something useful to your computer which can then be printed out on a printer etc and manipulated in photoshop 
there's, there needs to be some more processing. And that's done in the camera with a, a specialized processor. In the Canon cameras, it's called a DIGIC, D-I-G-I-C processor. And the latest versions of the DIGIC processor are really good. They do things like make sure that there's virtually no noise at even the high ISOs. Uh, they just do a better job of working with the image. So that's that's some of the changes. I haven't looked at it in depth. I was waiting. I'm going to give a full report uh, in a week or two when I come back because I'm going to handle all of these cameras. I've already made arrangements with all the manufacturers to get some special time with all of them. So I'm going to do detailed reports on each of the new bodies in Las Vegas. It sounds like one of the things that both Canon and Nikon are really moving towards is really um, eliminating a lot of the grain at the higher ISOs in these SLRs. Is that true? And frankly, that's that's what they should be doing because, right. you know, <laughs> uh, some of those are are not very usable at the high SOs. But more importantly, you know, we we kind of bought into this thing, guys, where there was this megapixel madness. I call it. Yeah. You know, so and so issues an eight megapixel camera. Well, then there's a ten, and now there's a twenty-two, and right. You know, we're going we're going to the point of absurdity here. There aren't hard drives or computers large enough to process some of these images if we keep going. And there's really no need for it. I, right. I sold an awful lot of images from, now Now this is going to take people back, my original Canon DSLR. So it is a, it's going to be a little bit confusing for people. It is a 30D. Right. But back when it was like four or $5,000, right? It was the... <laughs> yeah, it was, it, and it was a three megapixel camera. And, uh, you know, you can go to Amazon.com and buy a copy of, of Captivating Wildlife, which is one of my books. And many of the images in that book were made with that very first generation uh, camera, which is fine. Well, you know, the, the, you know, the, it, it's a three megapixel camera, but you know, I'm not printing 60 inch prints from it. Right. Well, and I think that most of us, I mean, when we think of a big image, we think of eight by tens and an eight by 10 really doesn't need more than 2,700 by, or, or 2,400 by 3,000 to get exactly. a good solid, so, a solid image. Right. Yeah. So, so the, it's the megapixel madness that it, we, I hope they put a stop to it because really they're going farther beyond what they need to, and, and it, I'd rather them do things like focus on ergonomics, focus on better frame rates, focus on you know, low-noise images. That's where people can use the help. And then you know, I'd like to see them talk, look at you know, changing the rules entirely. And I know right. one of the things you want to talk about today was what's the future going to look like. Yeah. Well, what, I don't know what it's going to look like. I know what I hope it will look like. What do you that hope that the, people are really focusing on? I mean, you've, you've started talking about this, but what are the key features that you see for the uh, for cameras? To you know, where where do we go? Where do we start? Because right now we're getting to a point where we're almost plateauing, where a lot of cameras yeah. shoot a lot of good images and a lot of camera. And there's what what's what's going to start setting these other cameras apart that kind of moves us to the next generation? Why do we have to have a click when we press the shutter? Yeah, <laughs> we, we, we. I think Joe was having this discussion the other well, day. Well, I was realizing that I, um, I was looking into getting a new walk-around lens, uh, more uh, versatile one. Right now, I have the uh, 50 millimeter 1.4 for my uh, XTI, and mm -hmm. I feel self-conscious enough when I'm sitting around just taking candid pictures of people having just the shutter go. And uh, it was debating whether or not I was going to get the USM lens, but when I even brought that up. To Alex, he was just like, well, why do we even need the shutter sound in general? Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and I'll tell you why we, we have it. And, and it's because the manufacturers think they have to replicate the mechanical camera experience. And that might have been true back when we had the 30D, the first iteration of Canon's DSLRs. But we don't have to. We do things the way we do because we've always done them. And if, if at any point in time someone was to wake up and say, hey, it's digital now, we can break the rules... I mean, why, for instance, do I have to screw on a, a, a neutral density filter? Right. 
on the video cameras that we use, Alex, we don't have to do that. Right, right. Yeah. Why can't I just push a button and say, okay, now everything's two stops darker? Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, the the um, the uh, the interesting thing I think is when when we started with the SLRs. I mean, I think part of the reason that it made sense was because that's you were still getting a. I'm getting the image right when I push the the button. So when the SLRs first came out. All the little cameras that we were, all the digital cameras that were just pure CCD, there was always this lag. I mean, I remember my Nikon, uh, little my 900, you know, whatever they call it, the mm-hmm. one that you could kind of turn in the middle. Um, the Coolpix. Yeah, the Coolpix 900. Cool. And I had a 4500 too, which I, by the way, it's one of the, my favorite camera form factors ever. Um, and I'm so, you know, and then they came out and it, they, they came out with a new one and it, they ruined it as far as I'm concerned. Cause there's nothing, there's no mount. You can't put anything on the end of those. Um, but, uh, but anyway, the, uh, the, the lag on the 900 was, um, I think it was up to like two seconds or a, a second and a half. I mean, it was like, I remember taking pictures of people in Africa in the car and you'd have to time it. You know, you there's this thing where you, you'd push the button and then, and then know how long it was going to take before it actually hit. People in the car, people that were passing by. We were passing by. That's uh, one of my, that's one of my pastimes <laughs> when I'm driving. I'm, I never drive in Africa, so I'm just sitting around taking pictures of people as we go by. And so, um, but, uh, you know, so I think that the, the having that clear shutter, what that allowed for was that, you know, getting exactly what you thought you were going to get when you push the button. But now we're way past that. I mean, all the little cameras, I mean, I think that all the little cameras that we're shooting now are pretty much, you know, instantaneous capture, right? Uh, Absolutely. And that's the thing to think about. You know, people all the time ask me, what camera should I buy? And that's sort of like saying, what car should I buy? I mean, here's the good news. There are very few cameras or cars sold in the United States that aren't pretty decent to begin with. I mean, any camera you spend a couple hundred bucks on up for is going to work. And if you spend three or four or five hundred dollars, you're going to get an incredible camera that will do things that the top of the line Nikon couldn't do 20 years ago. Right, right. Yeah. And and, uh, it's, it's amazing technology. It's all good stuff. It, it's And we've gone crazy, like I say, with the megapixels. And what people need to understand, Alex, is that all megapixels are not created equal. Yeah. It is the size of those digital sensor sites that's really important. So if you get an 8-megapixel consumer, you know, handy cam, small little digital camera that's three or 400 bucks, it is not going to give you the same quality as 8 megapixels in a digital SLR. It's a completely different story. And in some, in some, and, and one of the things that we want to do some tests with that we've been thinking about internally here is that in some cases a five megapixel may shoot better images than an eight megapixel because it's the same sensor size. You know, when you yeah, look at these if, cheap little cameras, but the, each piece of that sensor is a little bit bigger. Well, the light gathering sites are one of the keys. If right. if the size and shape of the individual sensor sites are larger on the five megapixel camera, it will indeed typically get a finer photograph. Right. You know, because I know I know with pixel, it's cheap. I know with I have a Canon G nine that I that, that's why I like my carry around in my pocket all day kind of camera. And um, and I know that it, at sixteen hundred ASA, I mean it's great. It has you know whatever eight megapixel or ten megapixel, but at 1600 ASA is almost unusable, you know, compared right. to, compared to my, uh, uh, my, my 20 D, you know, the 1600 ASA, I mean, and, and the thing is, is, is for people to realize is that when we take away this grain, when we get rid of it and, and, and I hear that the D or the 300 D or whatever is supposed to be, or D 300, I get the, I wish they would have used a different letter, you know, everyone, everyone, <laughs> these guys, but, um, uh, the 300 D or D 300 is supposed to have like almost no grain at 1600. I haven't seen the, 
the, the, the images yet. Um, it sounds like Canon's going that direction as well. And when we really get to that point, what we're really talking about, and the way that I think a lot of us are shooting digitally, once you get really used to it, and if you have real access to the ISO, you know, I mean, I mean what I mean by that is some com- cameras kind of hide ISO, so you have to go into the menu and you have to change stuff. But for me, ISO is another dial. It's like aperture or shutter speed. Mm-hmm. Actually, that- we call it the th- we call it the you know the third exposure control. Right. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it used to be we had aperture and shutter speed. Now we've got aperture, shutter speed, and ISO. And, and and you know, it used to be you know you had a you had a roll of film. That's actually what Jenny was. Ta- our sister Jenny was talking about that she was so excited. She was kind of on the fence about whether she really wanted to go digital, and that was her big turning point. Was when she realized that she could be outside taking pictures of her kids at one hundred, and then go inside and take pictures at sixteen, and not even think about it. And, and it's something that I think that photographers <clears throat> who begin don't think of ISO as something that they can just change back and forth. Uh, even if they, I mean, I think a lot of photographers have a hard time, um, like when they're starting, getting into, you know, even changing a lot of the, why, did, why, why do they change aperture or shutter speed or all these other things? And ISO is just one more complexity, but it's very, very powerful, especially as we get cameras that have less and less grain. Yeah, it's real important to think about ISO as a third exposure control, mostly from the creative aspect i mean we're going to get a little deep here for a second but Mm -hmm. um you know if i want to make a photograph that has a really nice blurry out of focus bokeh background you know the bokeh is really soft and and nice i'm going to shoot wide open to get that but because you know the exposure has to be a certain speed and i end up having to stop down to keep from overexposing that's where being able to turn the iso down helps because then i can get that blurry background i can open up and let more light in now can you describe for people what the bokeh is yeah it's it's a japanese word and it it relates to the soft background or the out of focus areas let's say in a uh, produced by a camera lens so you know a camera that has a camera lens that has what we call a nice bokeh will leave a very pl- a very pleasant uh, background and you won't see the circle of confusion so well. In other words, you, you won't see the outline of the aperture. It, it'll sort of all just blur to a point where you really can't make out anything. What, and, e- what exactly does it look like when you can see the circle that you're talking about? Well, you know, if you look, if you look at, if you'll just take like your 50 millimeter one point for Joe, mm-hmm. yep. take it off the camera and just rotate the aperture ring. You'll see the blades that create the aperture as they as they stop down. Some cameras have five blades, some eight, some mm-hmm. lots more, and and usually the ones with more blades end up with a nicer bokeh. And it's harder to dev- define that little circle that you get as the aperture closes down. I see, I see. Does that make yep. sense? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with uh, what we're what we're looking at when we're talking about bokeh is there's there's basically a disc-shaped, you know, imprint on the image from your aperture. And how much or how little of that, you know, relates to the bokeh. So uh, it, it gets very complicated, and I don't want to get too far into it. But, you know, if you look at it, it's, it's a polyagonal shape. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not perfect circles. Right. And if you're, you know, when you're looking at that kind of background, if you see the if you see that shape really prominently to the point where the aperture blades have created this impression in your mind that you know what you're looking at, you know you're looking at a polygon, right. then that's as nice a bokeh as one where that just seems to just completely disappear. Right, 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 right. And the, um, and, and the thing is, is that for me, I know that uh, I don't even, uh, I don't, 
I haven't uh, used a flash on my comp- on my camera ever. Ever, yeah. Yeah, and I know, you know, that's, and everybody has different sensitivities to well, it. Well, definitely not the built-in one anyways. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you have a, you, I don't think, I think generally, I think we, we can generally say that if you can avoid it, you never want to use the built-in flash on your, on any camera. Yeah. I mean, is that, is that, has that it, been your experience? Well, you know, it, it, it depends <laughs> on what you want to accomplish. I'm not as anti-flash as you, so I, <laughs> I say, but any, anyway, the point of this discussion was is that if you want to use that ISO control right. because of creative in, interests, for instance, you want to go wide open because you want to get a really nice blurry background, but right. you can't because it's too much light, you can turn down the ISO. So You can move it back with, and forth. With, and with and you can also open it wet, wide up if you're shooting in the evening and you don't want to flash or, or you want to have that right. kind of warm. Uh, I mean, it, it, with a 1.4 lens... Um, and 1600 ISO, you know, I can almost shoot, I mean, I can shoot people blowing candles out. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and that's a very fun thing to do. And, and, you know, you, you can look at controlling the ambient light and doing cool tricks. Now I I happen to do that and, but I'll actually also throw a flash on there using an old, an old tactic we call dragging the shutter where basically I'll let the ambient light predominantly control the exposure of the photograph but i'll just use just enough fill flash right. to illuminate my subject so that you can still see the candles and the subject's face right 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 what's interesting too about the um iso is that i just picked up a um the lens baby uh 3g <coughs> what do you think yeah. of that and uh it- what do i think of it yeah it's great the only thing that bothers me is what i was just about to get into is um to change the aperture they're actually little <laughs> discs that you have to pop in the front of the lens <laughs> And yeah, so, to be honest, I never, I just don't even use them. So, my main control is my ISO because that's my only, yeah. and uh, ISO and shutter speed, aperture is kind of out of the equation. Right. I was about to say, you'll learn to just leave it uh, as as it was. You, it looks you, great you, without it. Scott, do you have a lens baby? I have the both the original lens baby. In fact, when they were just marketing it, I still had my photography studio in Gig Harbor, Washington. They came up from Portland to show it to me. I got like one of the first ones, and I got the second version as well. I haven't had the third version. It's fun. I mean, it's there's nothing that a guy like you, Alex, couldn't do in Photoshop to make the same image. But one of the advantages of it is if you're not a Photoshop expert, you can still get those nice kind of you know pinpoint out of focus effects. The other thing is that there's a lot to be said for being able to see that in the field and adding to the creativity of the moment. Well, yeah. and, and I think that you 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 know you can get somewhere near it in Photoshop, but I don't think it's ever the same as if you can take it in camera. Yeah, I mean you lose some flexibility in the in post because it's done. It's done, <laughs> but but at the same time. There is this, um, I think, this warmth, and we're gonna we're gonna put some of this uh, some examples. We'll put some lens baby examples up on the blog. And what's really interesting about them is, is you see this warmth. You know, there's this warmth and there's this uh, integrity in the image that a lot of times is very hard to get in Photoshop. I mean, yes, I, I can create it, but it's it's not something that is uh, easy. And, and and as I said, there is something about you fire it, and you know that that's the image that I got. And um, it, it, there's I think that a lot of people, especially me, sometimes can get overly, oh, I can rework it later, where there's a certain, um, there's a lot of accidents that happen when you're shooting that right. turn out to be some of the best photos you've ever taken. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing I like about it, too, is that it, it, since it is, it's way harder to um, take a, um, a great photo with it because the focusing is something totally new I've never dealt with before. And um, so I'm so used to autofocus, I've been so spoiled. So whenever I do get a photo that really... You know, stands out. It's more satisfying than <laughs> than anything well, actually, other ones it, I'm working it's, on. It's, 
it slows you down, doesn't it? It, to- it really does. That's the one I'm, I, you know, right now I'm really just walking around focusing on anything as fast as I can because it's, I'm just, I, I haven't been able to take any candid photos of anybody because it takes so long to focus it. And I In actually have way, the one, the 3G actually has the locking function. I don't know right. if your older ones have that or not, but. No, they don't. They don't. Yeah. But in a way, that's kind of good because it forces you to think about what you're photographing exactly. as opposed to exactly. snapping willy-nilly. Yeah. Uh, Alex, to pick this back up into what uh, the future stuff, I just got a couple other ideas I want to mention sure. before I forget. I think we're going to see the end of CF cards. Where are we going to go? SD. Hard drives? Oh, SD, SD cards. Hmm. SD cards. Oh, yeah. In fact, that's one of the differences in the new 450D I forgot to mention. It's the first uh, entry-level Canon to offer an SD card. And SDHC as well. Interesting. Um, well, the HD... Yes. And, and the, the thing that I noticed is, is that I... While I looked at getting 8 and 16 gig uh, cards, I found myself resistant to buying cards that held that many photos. <laughs> I understand completely because if you have a 16 gig card and it's got five days worth of Africa on it and it crashes, you lose five days worth exactly. of images. Whereas if you've got, you know, eight two gig cards and one of them crashes, you still have exactly. 14 gigs of data. I, but but we will see bigger cards, uh, but we'll see these SD cards, I think. We're also going to see, um, you know, bigger, brighter viewfinders. Uh, hopefully, like I said before, we'll see things where we move away from the old style camera even shapes we might have whole new shapes that look nothing like a camera right that will get the job done and where and where the biggest here's where the biggest room for improvement lies lenses mm-hmm. how so because i'll tell you why if you're a camera manufacturer how many lenses do you sell versus how many bodies do you sell right you sell way more lenses than you do bodies because once you've got the body you know unless you're a pro most people buy a camera body and it's good for five ten years whatever the only thing they're going to add on is lenses. So this is an incentive to the manufacturers to work on lenses, and we have better glass. We have stronger, more composite materials. A, a perfect example is I just put in an order for the world's longest fixed focal length zoom lens with image Ooh. stability control, the Canon 800 F56IS. Mm. It's, it's an 800-millimeter lens. It's fixed focal length with a 5.6 aperture. It's 13 grand. <laughs> and, and here's nice. the cool thing, though. It, it weighs two full pounds less than my 600 F4IS Canon right. lens. So it's, it's, it's got you know a lot more focal length and weighs two pounds less. Now, wow. that's where things are moving in an exciting pace for me. Also, by the way, they, they um, intro the 200-millimeter 1.2 fixed focal length lens, which is about $7,000. But, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, that, you know we, really we, nice. we, we saw a Canon experiment with a technology called diffracted optics, mm-hmm. uh, optics, DO lenses, which are, they have a 400 uh, millimeter DO lens. It's really fast without mm-hmm. taking up a lot of space. So those are the places. And the other thing we have to deal with, Alex, is, these lenses, many of the lenses that are consumer grade do not resolve enough horizontal line pairs to give you a sharp picture edge to edge on the full frame sensors. Well, right. What do you mean by horizontal line pairs? What is that? Okay, well, let's say you buy the new, the new version, which I believe we'll hear about at PMA of the, of the Canon 5D, which I think they might call the 7D. That's just a guess. But that has a full frame sensor. And what we mean when we say that is that most digital cameras use a digital multiplier effect meaning that the sensor is actually smaller than a traditional 35 millimeter film piece so you have like a 1.3 magnifier which would turn 
you know, a 100 millimeter lens actually has the effective focal length or the EFL of a 130 millimeter lens. Right. But you don't have that on a full sensor sized lens like the 5D current or the one that they're going to talk about, I think, at PMA, the 7D. So in that case, you have to resolve a lot more information. So horizontal line pairs are a way of measuring the sharpness and, and the, the amount of data that a lens can deliver to the sensor. And right now, with the exception of Canon's L-series lenses, their pro lenses, no other lens that I'm familiar with, and somebody can, who's listening to us can write in and correct me if they, they know one, but I don't know of any lens in the Canon line other than the L-series lens that will resolve enough horizontal line pairs to give you a sharp in image edge-to-edge on a full-frame sensor. So that's a place where we need to get improvement. So you end up with just a little softness on, on all the way around. Well, and here and think about it. When you use a Canon 20 or 30D, you have a, a, a digital multiplier effect. About 1.6. Yeah. So, so if you were to use the full-frame sensor and lose that roughly that same amount of area to softness, right. why not just buy the cheaper camera to begin with? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's always that. Yeah. Yeah. So, because so essentially, what I, these these multipliers, because it's smaller, just for the people listening, it's basically cutting. Just imagine cutting a little rectangle out of the middle of a much bigger rectangle. You know, so you have this little. So because you're cutting that out, because that sensor is smaller than the full frame, um, you, you know, you're you're only getting that. You're only using using that middle, the middle part of your image, and um, and that has been to the advantage of a lot of these lenses for a long time, and uh, and definitely, I think in the SLR. I mean, I think a couple of years from now in the SLR, we're going to have full frame all the way down again. Do you, do you, do you agree? Well, we might, and 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 you know, for wildlife photographers and sports photographers, that'll be a bad thing. <laughs> Right. They like that digital multiplier. It's a, it's a little bit like you know a digital zoom on your cheap camera, only it's it's much higher quality. Right. Um, it it is just a small subset, and you can do the same thing with a full frame sensor. You just crop, but um, you know I, I think we probably will go to all full frame sensors. We'll go to very fast, high capacity memory cards. We'll go to very high quality lenses, and all this stuff will just continue to get cheaper and cheaper and right. cheaper and cheaper. And, you know, it's a great time to be a photographer. Yeah, it is. There's lots of options. And, of course, the software, we have to talk about that. In the future, the software is also going to get better. Well, and I think one of the things that I'm excited about for a couple reasons is the – this. when you look at this, for instance, this new Casio, um, the Pro EX-F1. So this is a a $1,000 camera. So it's cheap. I I really want to get one to test (laughs) badly. Um, So this one will shoot at 6 megapixel it'll shoot 60 frames a second, you know, for wow. a burst of three seconds. So, yeah. and what that means is for, for a photographer, especially imagine being a sports photographer, right? you're basically shooting slow motion video of, of a tackle or a catch or, or even for a wildlife photographer of, of a lion jumping onto, a, 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 onto its prey. Um, you're shooting slow motion. I mean, it's fast enough to be slow motion video for three seconds, uh, of that of that key area, and then you can go back and just pick the the images that were just the right angle. I mean, just the right you know uh, piece. You, normally, we're capturing one, two, maybe three frames a second. So, being able to capture the sixty frames a second um, in in short bursts um, uh, means that, and, and this is at full resolution. You know, uh, it 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 changes the way we shoot our kids, the way we shoot wildlife, the way we shoot weddings, the way we shoot you know uh, uh, sports. You know, all of these things where anyone where people are moving around and you're trying to capture something, you can grab that moment um, and and grab a sampling of it at full resolution. Now, the interesting thing about this one is this one. If you turn the resolution down on this Casio, it'll do 1,200 frames a second. 
so it's at I think it's like 384 by something or other. It's really, really, really small. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's like a postage stamp, but but I have to admit, for science or just for fun, I mean, I can imagine myself just dropping things on the, just setting it at 1,200 frames a second and just dropping things on the floor just to see what they look like. Um, uh, but the but but I think that so I think that this um, changing these frame rates and using it because the CMOS the the sensor this gets back into what we were talking about before we don't have a shutter you know we don't have to move anything and that CMOS can handle 1200 frames a second the the big reason that it has to go down in resolution is because the bandwidth within the camera the memory that it needs the the, the buffer memory that sits inside that camera um, is only allowing it to hold so much data at one time but that's going to be expandable and and I think that there's two things one is the idea that we may get to a point where maybe not the professional cameras but a lot of these consumer cameras are are shooting at 3 megapixels at you know 300 frames a second you know, you know, um, you know, and and we get used to the idea that we just are able to do high speed out of any of these cameras. Obviously, this this convergence in the consumer area of video and and photography. I mean, already now, I'm shooting 640 by 480 out of my little G9 whenever I feel like capturing a video instead of a still. Uh, we're going to get to a point where we're shooting 1920 by 1080 progressive scan out of our little still camera when we want to just switch over. And some cameras are getting very close to that now. The the next thing, though, that I think is the most interesting that I haven't seen anyone talk about that I think is possible is say I have this 60, um, these 60 frames a second. Now, what I really want is I want six of those frames. So it give me in one tenth of a second, shoot six of those frames at two, at two stops apart and then automatically compile them into a high dynamic range image. You know, because all of that stuff is a very, it could be, you know, it, I could hit it and just wait for, you know, wait for two seconds for it to compile that HDR um, or just save them out and I'll compile it later in Photoshop. But, but what's interesting about that is as these get faster, let's say we have a, we have a camera that's capable of a thousand frames a second and I can grab 10 frames in a 60th of a second or a, or a 200th of a second. I can grab those 10 frames at different exposures and then recompile them. What we're talking about is photography without really without exposure. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, you're talking about photography where you pull the trigger and you're getting, you know, 20, 30 stops of information, you know, from one, one camera push, um, out of a, out of an average camera. And then you're re-exposing that, that later, you're able to compress all of that, that the, the light areas, you're able to do all those things and get, um, and, and, and redefine what that is in the, you know, in the dark room, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I don't know if it's, well, yeah, I think it makes sense to you and, and the three or four people like you on the planet. Most of our listeners fell asleep. They have no idea what we're talking about. Um, okay, so what we're going to do is in the video in, in this feed, we're going to drop a video of what HDR is. I think that's fine. Yeah, I think one thing to think about is is that you know bringing it more towards traditional photography. There are still very fast cameras. They're high end. Canon Pro bodies and probably Nikon too. They'll give you forty-eight, sixty frame bursts. You hit the you hit the button and you got a buffer that'll do sixty shots, and they'll do it at you know twelve and a half frames a second, which right. is about a third of the rate of video, right. or half if you're doing the twenty-four FPS stuff. Mm -hmm. So that gets you pretty close to some you know lots of choices. Right. Um, 
won't do the slow-mo kind of stuff that you're talking about. But even that's pretty fantastic because I remember back in the day, in the 1970s, when I photographed the Indianapolis 500 with a Nikon body that weighed 12 pounds and had a separate motor the size of the camera attached to it to give me 1.9 frames per second. Right. <laughs> and that separate motor cost almost 2000 bucks. So, I mean, it, it's, we've come a long way with all this stuff. Right. And you did mention CMOS sensors. That's another thing I want to mention. Alex, I think the CCD is pretty much dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's, dead. it's charge couple devices, create a lot of static. They produce noisy images. We talked about reducing noisy images. CMOS is the way to go. Uh, Nikon's moving that way. Canon's been that way for a long time. And I think in the future we'll see mostly CMOS sensors. Right. So I think it's going to be, uh, it'll be, it's, you know, it's going to be an exciting year. I mean, every year now with photography, I think is an exciting year more than ever. Um, you know, it just keeps on, it seems to keep on accelerating. I felt over the last couple of years that we started reaching a point where there wasn't a lot of distinguishing factors between the cameras. I mean, you had a flavor that you liked. I mean, the reason that we use, for instance, the reason I use Canons instead of Nikon, I had a Nikon, I used to use Nikons is simply because I needed, I needed the, uh, SDK. I need to be able to control the camera from the computer and uh, Canon did that better, but it wasn't the quality of the camera. I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, they were very close. You know, I think that you're even, you know, in a lot of things. And I think that it's going to be exciting to see, hopefully, these guys really pushing back and forth. I think that what's exciting is that Nikon and Cam Canon are both playing full out, you know. And, well, and, and, other and, and I think that Nikon, I mean, for a long time, most of us felt like Canon was in the lead. But I, I don't know. With some of the new Nikon offerings, it might be that Canon's going to play a little catch up. The 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 um, the D three hundred sounds like an amazing camera. I mean, almost everybody who's a professional photographer that I know of is is look is got it on order. You know, yeah, it's a very interesting camera, and and uh, you know, people don't realize that that haven't followed this as long as I have. But you, you know, autofocus that was Canon, image right. stabilization that was Canon. You know, they really have been a leader for a long time, but now you see Nikon really turning it up a notch. And what's interesting about this, guys, is that if you look at the size of Nikon as a company, it is dwarfed by Canon. Right. Because Canon isn't just a camera company. They make copiers. They make printers. So, you know, it, it's, not even a, it's not even a close call. Nikon would fit in, like, the janitor's office at the Canon factory. And so for Nikon to be such a small company... And to be able to compete like this, it's interesting. And I think it's, you know, we always talk when we do our Apple-related shows that, you know, we talk about iTunes needing competition. It's always good for there to be competition. And certainly these two are battling it out. And then we can't forget everybody else. We've got, you know, we've got Sony jumping into the digital SLR game right. recently uh, with a fairly, re you know, reliable offering. We've got uh, Fuji. You know, Olympus, Fuji. And Fuji, Fuji's like showing there that they, you can now view the, through the LCD Right. You know, right. I mean, that's the, I'm, I'm not looking for the shutter kind of thing, you yeah. know, so. And all these companies will try to innovate and then the, mm. you know, the one, the one or two things that they make that really work will end up making their way to the, the, the big line cameras. And, and it, it's great. It creates the competition. And I, I don't want to, I mean, we only have a few minutes left, but I, I don't want to forget software. We, we have way more choices than we did just three years ago, four years ago. Everybody just had Photoshop and that was pretty much it. But now we've got, Anywhere from freeware to, to open source stuff. We've got Aperture. We've got Lightroom. Um, yeah. it, there's a lot of choices in the software. And I, I think that's another area where these people can really innovate. If you can make it so that somebody who's just out snap shooting 
can can get a really great photograph at the couple of hits of a button. I mean, iPhoto. Look at how far that's uh, come. I know. I I did a um, I shot a you know a bunch of pictures of my son, and uh, which which are up on our you know I'll put that up on on the blog too. But the um, uh, I shot a whole slew of, slew of photos, and then I corrected them all in iPhoto. I didn't go out anywhere. I just did, I was just you know I just decided I'm going to do all this stuff, all my personal stuff through the iApps just to test them. And uh, so I went out through, uh, you know, I, I corrected them in iPhoto. I printed out a, um, you know, printed a book for my parents and my, you know, both sides, on both sides and my grandmother. And, and uh, all of that stuff was all done in iPhoto, you know, and a couple of corrections didn't turn out quite the way I wanted them to. But overall, I thought it was just a, an incredible you know, I was able to make the adjustments of, oh, it's really 2,900, not 3,200 for indoor and, you know, and just kind of tweak all of those things all the way through. And, and, uh, being able to have that kind of control in an app that comes for free with my Mac, um, was exciting. You were talking about the color temperature of the light there. Yes, I was. I was talking about the color temperature of the light, which is a whole nother, uh, Joe, it's going to be, it's going to be our job to try to get Alex to come down off the mountain once <laughs> pulling back a little bit <coughs> yeah. so so the uh, anyway so um do we have did you have any any last news for us uh, as we as we wrap this one up um all my news is that i will be on the show floor for three days i will be interviewing uh various folks from the big camera companies, software companies and uh, we will basically probably create an entire show Great. Uh, just of those interviews so people can hear it from the horse's mouth. And I guess we'll put that up in a couple of weeks when I get back. Perfect. Perfect. And uh, Joe, do you have anything else? That's about it for me. That's all That's all you have there. And so um, so stay tuned for Scott's, uh, uh, Scott Bourne, of course, from Poddango. Stay, stay tuned for uh, his updates. And of course, we're going to start updating the blog uh, this week. So we'll start putting some stuff up. I'm, I'm going to try to put just sample images of cool, things that I've shot in the past. I think all of us can kind of put some of that stuff up and hopefully uh, in anything new. And I think that there'll be lots to post uh, as PMA starts to roll out. So, And I've, I've got some tips up there already, Alex. Probably would be a good idea for us to give the URL. It's twipphoto, T-W-I-P-P-H-O-T-O dot com. Twip photo, and so uh, go up there, and we're going to start. See, now I'm not. I haven't been much of a blog guy in the past. A lot of our other shows uh, on Pixelcore are not are not uh, very bloggy, but uh, Scott has has sold me on the on the blog, on the need for the blog, and so <laughs> uh, to have the blog, you gotta have the blog, and so so I promise to post, and uh, and uh, I have lots of little things that I I think that'll be. Um, kind of fun. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, be popping stuff up there uh, starting this week, and uh, hopefully all of you will enjoy it. If you've got questions, if things that you want us to uh, um, uh, post about, um, do we have an email that we've set up in the blog, uh, Scott? Uh, for that, actually, not yet. Okay, so so we, we will have our email addresses. What? We can just use our. You, you can use me. You can use my address you know, for now. Scott if, if you, at Pedango.com. Or you can also uh, actually let's let's uh, if you've got if you've got questions, go ahead and and uh, email Twip. That's uh, T W I P at Pixelcore.com. Oh yeah, you guys can set one up. Yeah, we'll set one up. So uh, so we'll have that all set up for you uh, this week. And so by the time you hear this, uh, you can send us questions. So if, if there's something you want to know about pho- photography, uh, whether it's the software, whether it's the cameras, the lenses, or just the technique, uh, let us know. And uh, we'll start going through those questions on the next show that we record. So thanks, thanks to Joe and Scott. And uh, this is Alex Lindsay. And this has been This Week in Photography. <laughs>